This morning's scripture comes from Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, that, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if, they were, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven that, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what, he, what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We are going through our sermon series entitled, He is Risen, um, looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Um, these, this is a monumental statement about life, that he is risen and that we can live in that resurrection life with him. It's one that doesn't settle for cliches. It's one that is not painted with agreeable gray like we have on the walls here. I learned of a new color maybe in the last year called grayish, which I just like the word itself just hurts me um, internally deep within me that we would that we would find a gray and beige, a more um, white person color. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> uh, to, to paint our walls with. Um, we went to Home Depot last Saturday, I guess, and Evelyn is picking out these bright pinks that she wants on the wall, and they're like super bright. And Stacy and I are like, no, 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 let's tone this down a little bit. And then Michael wants cubby blue on his wall to cover the agreeable gray. And then we're like, no, it's so agreeable. Why would you color it anything else? 
But they are not going to settle for this grayish, this agreeable gray kind of life. They want fullness of color. This is the resurrection life that we have in Jesus, one that has lived under the power. He is risen. Paul reminds us in Romans that if we died with Christ, then we rise with him too. We have his life. That same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive in us as well. Last week, Nick talked about doubts and looking at doubting Thomas and how Jesus met Thomas in his doubts. This week, we are looking at burdened and heavy hearts that we often carry around with us. What burdens are you carrying? What weighs you down? What sits and nags on your mind in your life that continually makes you question uh, the goodness of God? the grace of God, the goodness of your own self, the grace that he wants to put on you as well. Maybe it's making it, doing something important in life. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's lies that you carry around with you or the shame and guilt of something. Maybe it's your own limitations that you have to function and you can't be omnipresent and omnipotent and om, uh, all-powerful, um, but that you are human. Maybe it's the new things that you guys are going to be facing in the coming months. I love the Avett Brothers uh, song, The Weight of Lies. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. When you run, make sure you run to something and not away from, because lies don't need an aeroplane to chase you anywhere. I'd replace it with burdens. Burdens don't need an aeroplane to chase you down. They will follow you. And uh, one of the things I found out when, when we were moving here and talking to people and getting to know them, they had run from something else, whether it was Tennessee or New York or Jersey or wherever, and they came here uh, to make it anew. And uh, some of the people that I talked to had been here about five years, and they were like, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Life here isn't all that it promised to be. Um, I'm going to go find someplace new where I can go. I think music has a way of reminding us of what is truly feel, what we feel in our hearts, whether it's the burdens that we carry or the joys that we have. And I think music has a way of uplifting us as well. We can put something on. It can bring a new beat. It can bring a new rhythm. It can set a tone or a mood. If we have sad music on, if I'm listening to Bonnie Vare, that's going to um, make me feel my feelings a little more. If I'm listening to like uh, Daft Punk, it's going to make me want to dance. Um, it's going to uplift me into something else. What we hear, what we see here is a music coming into the background of the disciples' lives. And they go from burdened hearts from the very beginning, standing still, looking sad, to running and saying, didn't our hearts burn when he talked to us? How did they get there? What happened on the road to Emmaus? Emmaus. Emmaus. <laughs> that was unintentional. Um, it's a dad slash a pastor dad joke. There you go. Jesus revealed himself to them. And amazingly, it's not this great grand display of, of glory. It's not angels showing up like they did at his birth. No, it was by simply opening up the scriptures to them and sharing a meal with them. So simple, so easy, so understated. But these two acts together 
transform their hearts. Jesus opened the scriptures in that first part there. He plays the fool. What, why, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? As he shows up on the, uh, um, on the road with them. What happened? And Cleopas says, uh, are you the only one that doesn't know about what has happened? And then he goes on to confess um, a pretty basic identity of Jesus. He was from Nazareth. He was a man. He was a prophet. He was mighty in deed and word before God and people. And we had hoped we had hoped, past tense, finished, completed action. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And now we're struck with the possibility of him being raised from the dead. We don't know what to do with this, really. He's just stating the facts that have come forward to them, and they're puzzled. They're wondering what this all may mean. They're confused. They're sad. But maybe, maybe they're still have, they still have an inkling of hope. And Jesus calls them the foolish ones, the slow ones in that moment. I think this is really very much a term of endearment. It's translated foolish throughout all the New Testament. Um, so I'm, I might be placing that on it a little bit. But um, basically it means ones who don't know. Um, and so they don't know. And so Jesus says, hey, let's do this together. And he walks them through as they walk on the road to Emmaus, through uh, to Emmaus. Apparently, that's how it's going to be said for all day. Um, my mouth doesn't work. Um, through the Hebrew Bible, what we know as the Old Testament, looking at the history of God, calling a people to Himself, willing to endure sacrifice and suffering to make this happen, to call a people to Him, to find redemption through suffering. And Jesus shows that redemption came not um, by avoiding suffering, not by, by uh, 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 circumventing it, but by going through suffering as well. Andy Crouch says uh, there's something about sacrifice that unlocks what this world needs. Now this concept that they say, that we, he, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel was a firm foundation category of who the Redeemer would be. And uh, I'm sure Jesus went to Isaiah, this middle section uh, here, and Isaiah 41, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, where um, Isaiah writes, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy one of Israel, the Lord, the God Almighty, is the Redeemer of Israel. Uh, chapter 43, Isaiah writes, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them down as, refuge, as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. In verse 44, he says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. They had hoped that he was the redeemer of Israel. And Jesus takes them through from Moses 
to the prophets the full history of Israel to show them what the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God needed to do to suffer to be able to show himself as the Redeemer. This is not something new in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has been alluding to Old Testament passages throughout. And it's one of those, like, you kind of have to know the melody of the notes that are behind it all. Like, we have musical variations. If you um, pick up, like, a, a ja- an extended uh, version jazz album, there'll be alternate takes. If you go to a musical, sometimes they'll revi- reprise certain um, songs and kind of remind you of what's taken forth as you kind of begin to look forward to the new thing. A lot of times, someone will say, something and all a lyric will just immediately pop into my mind and go oh this is like that and all these mental associations that's what Luke wants has been doing throughout his gospel and now kind of makes it a little more explicit um, as Jesus walks with these uh, disciples scripture allows us reading scripture being in scripture begins to make these connections for us it gives us an imagination for what this resurrection life can look like and when we are faced with something uh when i've been um when i'm getting pressure or feeling anxiety feeling like someone's attacking me i go to the back to the psalms and go in you lord do i hide you are the cleft in which i find my refuge and i go back to these passages of scripture that maybe i've just read maybe i haven't sat down to actually memorize but they start to come up over and over again for me to hide myself in them for me to imagine that these themes that i'm seeing in my life are the things that god wants to work in me it's kind of a, it's those song lyrics coming back into our head. They give us wisdom, they give us guidance, they give us peace and patience, especially in the face of suffering, especially when we carry the burdens of life around with us. And this allows us to live into his story. It reminds us, as Paul reminds us, that if we die with Christ, we will live in him again also. This allows us to live into his story, his resurrection life. And by the grace of God, it feeds our souls. It feeds our hearts. It reminds us that resurrection life will come no matter what we are facing. Jesus opened scripture to them, but not only that, he broke bread with them. As they continued on, Jesus was going to go, hey, you know what, you guys go your separate way. We're to Emmaus, and uh, let's, let's separate. But they, they said, no, 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 please, please stay with us. Have dinner with us. It's late. Don't you, you can't go any farther anyway. So they sat down to the meal, and he did uh, something spectacular. He Actually, quite simple, but very spectacular, in that he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is something that they would have seen him do throughout his life. He, when he was with the feeding, uh, uh, with, when he fed the 5,000, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. At the Lord's Supper, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And now on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus gosh, did it again. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And this... This is when their eyes were opened, not just to the scripture, but to who this man was standing in front of them. The hope 
that they had of the one who would redeem Israel. N.T. Wright said, this is the first meal of the new creation. Uh, One commentator says, Jesus, the guest at the table, becomes the host of the meal. Their eyes were open. This is a divine passive. Uh, It's something that happens to them by the power of God, and it happens in the breaking of the bread. That is when he became known. Uh, Richard Hayes, who's a scholar at Duke, said, Even Jesus' definitive Bible study on the road to Emmaus does not produce understanding and recognition in the disciples. The moment of recognition comes only as they sit at the table and Jesus breaks bread with them. We come to understand Scripture only as we participate in the shared life of the community and acted in meals shared at a table. There is a thing that we must do that Jesus gives us to do, to come together, to be formed around the table, not merely with Scripture, but also with His body and blood, defining who we are, being able to have His resurrection life as well. Is it magic? Maybe. No. Uh, hocus pocus, the magical words that every magician says. Actually, um, we believe that it came from the Latin mass where the, the priests would stand up and say, hoc est corpus, when Jesus says, this is my body. And that in that moment is when they believe that it, it um, the bread and the wine transubstantiates, it transforms into the actual body and blood of Christ. And so magicians took this on in, I think, the early 1900s uh, to use this as their, their verbs as well, as they would hocus-pocus, you know, make something disappear. Uh, so it's not tra- transubstantiation. We don't believe in that here. We don't believe that the bread transforms into Jesus' body or the, the wine or the grape juice transforms into his blood. Some people, Lutherans, uh, uh, believe that it transfor- that both elements are there, that Jesus' actual body is a part of it, that it's the two substances, bread and body, blood and wine. Some people believe that none of that happens. We're just kind of memorize, uh, memorializing his meal as well. We follow somewhere in, be- in between all of that here. It's mysterious. Is Christ present in the blood? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Is Christ present in the bread? Is he present in the wine? Yes. Does it transform? Not really. But through these elements, these regular, ordinary, everyday elements, he ministers to us his grace. What we believe is that it's a sacrament, that God uses ordinary things to pour out his grace, to mediate his grace to us. Sacraments are are those acts which Jesus both performed and instructed his followers to perform. John Calvin is a um, a reformer. Forming. He was in the Reformation uh, theologian. Um, he says that the uh, table is a visible sign of a sacred thing, that a sacrament is a visible sign of a sacred thing. The sacraments, according to Calvin, are inseparably attached to the word. I think that's part of what Jesus is showing us here, at least Luke, as he puts these things together. The sacraments seal the promises found in the word. And they, re- in regard to the Lord's Supper specifically, It is given the seal of promise 
uh, to those that partake of the bread and wine in faith, truly partake of the body and blood of Christ. And this is belie- this is understood in the our mystical union with Christ. There's a portion, there's a part in um, 1 Corinthians, I believe, where Paul is making an argument as people use their bodies outside of uh, the covenant of marriage, as they join with one another um, um, outside of that sexually, um, as they eat food with idols, and as their ethics are just completely um, caught up in the culture of the day. And he says, no, no, no. If you eat at the Lord's table... You, your body is bound to him and his life as well. You can't be bound to that and bound to, you can't be bound to both of these things. They are separate from one another. So if you come and put yourself in the body of Christ, if you come and eat with Christ, then you are bound to him. You can't be bound to these two things. The Lord's Supper, why we celebrate it every week, is that it binds us to Christ. It gives us His resurrection life here and now. I apologize for the many quotes that I have, but um, I love this stuff. So, um, C.T. McMahon, uh, another commentator, says, Of all the means by which Jesus could have been chosen to be remembered, He chose to be remembered by a meal. What he considered memorable and characteristic of his ministry was his table fellowship. The meal, one of humankind's most basic and common practices, was transformed by Jesus into an occasion of divine encounter. It was in the sharing of food and drink that he invited his companions to share in the grace of God. The quintessence of Jesus' redemptive mission was revealed in his eating with sinners, repentant, and unrepentant alike. The thrust of this is that Jesus longs to sit with you and eat a meal with you, and he invites you into that, to that table, every week. And then he gives us the ability to go out and to be able to eat with others as often as we can very, very quickly, breaking bread and eating meals became the central symbolic act of Jesus' people. We come to understand Scripture and how they reveal Jesus as the Redeemer of Israel only as we participate in the shared life of the community enacted in meals shared at the table. I think it's very easy to get caught up in other practices and not thinking that eating a meal is enough even in our everyday lives. We want to do extraordinary things. We maybe, maybe we want to lay down our lives for other people. We want to have lasers and smoke and all these, these brilliant angel choruses come to show themselves, uh, who, to show people who Jesus is. But Jesus says, have a meal with them. Sit down at the table, share your life, and let them share your life, uh, their life with you. It is an extraordinary thing to share a meal with one another, with family and with strangers as well. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I watched the movie Avalon. Has anybody seen the movie Avalon? Um, it's like from 89 or so, Elijah Craig, or Elijah Craig. <laughs> 
bourbon. Uh, Elijah Wood uh, is in it. He's like nine years old at the time. Um, and it tells the story of a uh, Jewish Polish family who immigrates to the U.S. And over the course of several years, um, the undoing of their um, meals and their shared life together as a family. And they, they kind of use meals as a touchstone in which it opens on a fa- uh, Thanksgiving meal. And they're like, who are we giving thanks to? And I don't know. We're just giving thanks. Well, you have to give thanks to someone. And it's, it's them sitting at the table. And it, it warmed my heart so much because it felt like my, <laughs> my like when, my gran- when we would go to my grandparents' house and everyone's arguing about like minutiae of things, of like the dates when things happened the year when someone came over or what happened when and the day of the week and none of it really mattered but like that's what formed us as a family and they they brilliantly show this but they over the course of time you start to see like this big family gathering one guy's always late to the meal and they he he argues you didn't cut the turkey without me did you and you know no we waited for you and then you jump forward uh you know three quarters of the way through the movie and he's still running late to every Thanksgiving meal and they go ahead and they cut the turkey without him and he loses it. How dare you? You're my brother and you cut the turkey without me. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. You're essentially cutting me out of your life. And it ends in one of the very last scenes is as they um, have a TV now and it's a Thanksgiving meal and they're the only, just the nuclear family is sitting there with TV trays in front of the TV. There's no more family. It's not full. It's not boisterous. They're not even talking with one another. And they're staring at the TV. Meals have a powerful effect. How we share them. How we are able to live out our values where grace and forgiveness and love is extended and shared with one another. You may not pick up on this. Maybe you will now. But as we share the meal here on Sundays, it has a way of flavoring the rest of the meals that we eat throughout the week. It has this effect of centering us on the meal, the life, the identity that we have in Christ as we go out and eat with one another here, both here as this part of this community, but also the people, our families, our co-workers, those with whom we are in relationship with. So what do the disciples do when they realize that it was Jesus who was with them all along? They run back to Jerusalem. They've spent the whole day seven miles walking to Emmaus. They run back to tell the other disciples. And this time they don't call Jesus a prophet. They don't call him a man. They call him Lord as Nick explained to us a couple of weeks ago, that this is the word kurios, the word that is used to, to translate the name of God himself in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the one who, I, uh, who Isaiah calls the Redeemer of Israel. Their eyes are open to who God is, and they profess their faith, our worship in which word and sacrament come together, is our profession, is our experience of Jesus as Lord. It is where we are able to see him revealed as God himself, where we are able to put our hope of redemption in him. 
life comes at us it wants to call it wants us to call so many other things lord it wants to reduce us to one dimensional beings ones who can be easily marketed to and sold on all these other things which will define our lives which is why it's so important to come back on a regular basis to be reminded through word through scripture and through bread and these simple elements that jesus is with us that phrase is used over and over again. It's used three times in verses 29 and 30, that Jesus is with us. One commentator says that Jesus disappeared so that he could be with them spiritually as they live this resurrection life. It becomes a theme of our resurrection life, a song stuck in our head, Jesus with us. N.T. Wright says, Take Scripture away, and the meal becomes magic. Take the meal away, and the scripture becomes an intellectual and emotional exercise. But put them, put them together, and you have the center of Christian living. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that um, you see us as whole beings, that we are not one-dimensional, uh, that we are able to have resurrection life in you, life in which we can feed and feast both on your word and on uh, your life as well through this table that you long to eat this meal with us on a regular basis, Lord, that you call us back to you. Lord, we get turned and twisted away. We go and find other things that we think will satisfy us, and yet you continually set this table and call us back to see you. Help us to confess our faith in you, that you are Lord, that you are where we can put our hope and trust. Remind us through your story. Remind us through your meal. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.